The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And uh, John Pincus is at the helm. And we are going to be answering all your calls this afternoon. And uh, you make it all that much better with your inquiries when it comes to employment law, whether you're on temporary leave because of uh, COVID-19 or you've been let go or you're not sure if you're going to get called back to work. Call us, ask your questions. You can send an email along as well. That is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And anytime you're wondering anything uh, when it comes to do to employment matters, and we're not doing a show, that's no problem. There's a resource for you called Pocket Employment Lawyer. .ca, free, anonymous, and available for you to use anytime. So we can answer all your questions over the next uh, hour or so. Johnny, buddy, what do you got for me for the week that was? I know you got a couple things you want to discuss. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and I'm sure everyone listening can can uh, relate to that. So hopefully if uh, people hear things that uh, uh, remind them of their situations or situations that maybe their friends are having, uh, give us a call. There are no stupid questions on this show, so please do call in. Uh, so just starting with the first situation, uh, involved a vice president of a medium-sized company was terminated after only working for about two years. Uh, this was a role that paid her a fairly high salary in the you know in the six-figure range, and she was let go after the company had to do some COVID-related downsizing. So she got a contract uh, that uh, she got a termination letter notifying her that she was being let go without cause, and that under her contract she was entitled to two weeks' pay. And they said, "Well, we're we're going to be generous here. We're going to give you another two weeks if you sign this release." And, by the way, we want to remind you that you have a non-competition clause where you can't work anywhere that competes with our business directly for one year. But don't worry, we'd be happy to write you a reference letter. So she actually came to me mostly because of that last point. And she said to me, she said, look, John, I, I work in a niche industry. If I, don't, if I can't work in this industry for 12 months, I don't work. And then the main right. question she had for me when she came in was, is this non-competition clause enforceable? And the first thing I said to her is, well... Perhaps not, but it doesn't really matter if it's not enforceable because what's going to happen is if you start working somewhere that competes with them, they're going to want to enforce it against you. They're going to try anyway. They're going to bring an injunction. They're going to sue you. They're going to sue your next employer. It's going to be a nightmare, and you don't want that. So the only thing that we can do about the non-competition clause is negotiate it out. And here's where the, the, the good news came was that we had quite a bit of leverage here because the termination clause that the company was relying on to give her a crummy severance package was completely illegal, as most termination clauses are. So she wasn't owed two weeks paid, uh, two weeks pay. Based on her position, her, her rate of compensation, her length of service, she was owed about six months pay. You know, and yet even because of her short service, the law recognizes that these people are entitled to a reasonable severance package, particularly if someone has a high role like a vice president here. Uh, and because the company was refusing to waive the non-competition clause, she was actually right. entitled to even more than that. So we ended up writing to the company and talking about how they owed her much more severance and that their termination clause was unenforceable, which it was. And we also gave them a sense of the fact that uh, their uh, non-compete clause actually increased their liability in the circumstances. And, John, you know what the first thing they did was? What? 
they waived their non-compete clause. That was the very first thing they did. did. Before, before they even talked about the severance package, they said, oh, don't worry about the non-compete clause. Because, of course, that increased their liability because anything that impedes your ability to find a new job is something the court's going to consider when they're uh, awarding a severance package to you. So in addition to that, they are going to pay a much more severance, a uh, much more fair severance package. But, of course, this client is always already very happy uh, because she has the freedom to at least look for a new job uh, in the same industry. So there, there's a bunch of lessons here. Uh, the big biggest one, of course, is if your employment's been terminated and your employer's relying on a termination clause, have an employment lawyer review that clause. Uh, many, if not most, termination of employment clauses are not enforceable. And, and ideally, actually, you would speak to an employment lawyer before you've signed an employment contract, not just because of termination clauses, uh, which are, of course, very important, but also, as we see here, uh, because these non-compete clauses can be very, very dangerous. Uh, and finally, you know, the last thing that I'd point out here is that even if you've been somewhere a very short period of time, you know, this individual was only there about two years, you're still entitled to severance. And that severance entitlement could be very, uh, very significant. That's why John is here. He's got the knowledge. Bring it on. Uh, what else you got going on, pal? Well, this next situation really bothered me, uh, and it's oh. probably going to bother a lot of our listeners, too. So make sure you're sitting down for this one. Uh, someone gave me a call and said, I recently contracted COVID-19, and I was extremely scared because I'm asthmatic. Uh, I'm in a high-risk category. So I told my employer of 12 years uh, that this was going on, that I was going to need some time off work. And as soon as my employer found out, they let me go. And I said, to her, well, did it, yeah, I said, I said, did they tell you why they let you go? And they said, yes, the reason they let me go is because they told me my employment was, quote, frustrated, and they couldn't put their other people at, in the workplace at risk. And then they paid her the bare minimum amount under the Employment Standards Act, which for her was 20 weeks, and they said, thank you very much, and it was over. And I said to her, well, no, of course your employment has not been frustrated. Frustration is a very, very unique and narrow legal concept, which requires the employment relationship to be impossible, not just now, not just next month, not just six months from now, but at any point in the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. You know, and by the time this woman had spoken to me, she was already feeling better. She was going through isolation. She could have been back to work in a couple months. Instead, she's got, you know, one traumatic scenario followed by another. And and this was really, in, in, in my view, some some unbelievable uh, cowardice on behalf of this employer, a completely inexcusable, uh, you know, trigger reaction, impulsive reaction, to, and, and to not even pay her a reasonable severance package and to say that this is based on uh, frustration, inexcusable. Uh, so we're going to be taking care of this for her, and uh, her employer is going to have a lot to answer for uh, in what they've done uh, in terminating this person. It's amazing, though. I mean, it, it sounds bizarre, and, you know, you shake your head about it. But until people hear the show or they decide to, to say, hey, maybe I'll call and get some information on this, how many times does this happen a day, a week, a month? And people and companies get away with it because people don't know any better, right? Yeah, you know, you see this frustration word thrown around a lot mm -hmm. with, with COVID-19. Right. And the reality is, is that, you know, frustration is a very, very distinct legal test. Um, and we get it. Employers are hurting. And, and for a lot of employers, particularly really small employers, um, you know, there's something to be said about making compromises and, and coming to a, a resolution. If you need to end the employment relationship, that's going to end for everyone. But you have to treat people fairly, right? And, and you can't play games uh, with people's mm -hmm. livelihoods uh, just, just to try and save some money. You know, everyone's trying to save some money right now, um, but there are entitlements that people have if you can't continue to employ them.
Ask John your questions about your job or COVID-19 stuff, uh, if it's related to that. If otherwise, just call in and ask if it's a severance space thing. That would be cool or just something you've always wondered because you don't trust the uh, advice of your neighbor next door who isn't an employment lawyer and just happened to have read something from Google, which is never a good start. Uh, biggest mistakes that individuals make that compromise their legal rights. Let's get into this list. This may sound familiar to you as well. Number one, uh, signing a contract without, there you go, speaking to a lawyer. Some people just go ahead and... Sign on the dotted line, right? Yeah, this is workplace advice 101, John, and and yeah, we all know kidding. that. Yeah, we all know that that situation. We've all been there where you get a new contract, you get a new job, especially if it's a new job you really wanted. So you might be really excited. Maybe you've gotten a new promotion. Maybe you, you're getting a raise, and you get all caught up in the assi- excitement. And you see this this clo- you know this letter. It looks like an iTunes agreement, and you figure, oh, okay, you know, just like I press agree, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign the dotted line. But this is not an iTunes agreement. Nope. This is something really really significant. You know, we talked about at the top of the show about this uh, vice president who signed a contract with the non competition clause. There can be no- a termination of employment clauses. And what you have to remember is that, you know, like an iTunes agreement, for the most part, for for 99% of our listeners, this is something that you had no role in negotiating, right? Typically, employees don't have a, you know, have a say in what's in that contract. It's a take it or leave it uh, arrangement. So what are the chances that your employer has actually put in something there that's going to benefit you other than the things that you already know, right? You already know what your salary is going to be. You already know probably what your vacation and your benefits are going to be. There might be a couple pleasant surprises in there, but generally speaking, you know what's going to be there. The stuff that you don't know what's going to be there are the things that are going to hurt you, right? The things that are about what are you going to be paid at termination? Where are you going to be able to work at termination? What uh, In what circumstances can your employer deny you this bonus that you were all excited about? And a whole host of other terms that are there to protect the employer and not to protect you. So before you sign, speak to a lawyer. Maybe you're prepared to sign it. Maybe that's a deal you're willing to make, but you have to, you really should know what you're walking into before you sign it. Get to more of those, but we got uh, literally a couple minutes before we take a break. That means we got time to slide Ivan in here. Thanks for hanging on the line. Ivan, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon, guys. I'm doing well, thank you. Beautiful. What's on your mind? Ah, I'm calling on behalf of my wife. Uh, she is 56. She uh, was making about $70,000 in the travel industry, and then she got laid off. Now there is rumors that uh, they're going to get rid of the people who has more seniority. She's been working with them for the last 22 years. So, And what she was told is they're giving one, one week per year of service. So it makes sense enough. Okay, so what what we're talking about here, Ivan, is your wife is probably about to be offered the minimum amount under the Employment Standards Act. Uh, But if she's been there for 23 years, 56 years old, and working in the travel industry, uh, she's going to be entitled to much, much more than that. The only way uh, that they would be able to uh, do that to her is if, uh, well, generally speaking, is if she signed a contract that can be enforceable. So uh, this is a situation where absolutely, when she gets her severance package, Give me a call. Give someone at my office a call. We can talk about this because if they give her um, now the the minimum amount that they could give her actually would be 31 weeks because they have to pay what's called termination pay and severance pay. But if they only give her 31 weeks, uh, then uh, she should definitely be speaking with us because this is someone who could easily be owed a year and a half of their pay, 18 months, 20 months pay. Uh, so that's that's a lot of money. So uh, before she signs anything, uh, make sure uh, give us a call, please. We'll do that. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Have a good day. 
Thank you, Ivan. Appreciate that. Here is that number. Uh, write it down and do call indeed. You will need it. one 821 5900 Again, to reach John or Lior, member of their team at the firm. one 821 5900 Keep that. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. It's just that simple. Make that phone call. Get some answers right off the hop. We'll be right back with more for the remainder of this hour. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. John Pinkus doing the show today. Going to answer your calls about anything about employment matters and uh, to reach out afterwards, help at employmentlawyer.ca. You also have the... uh the addition of pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the website, and one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Back to what we were talking about, though, and that is the biggest mistakes that individuals make that compromise their legal rights. Number two, don't have written records of important events or conversations. We tell people to do this all the time on this show, John. Yes, very, very important, particularly with respect to certain issues. And like we we always say, if it's not in writing, it's as if it didn't happen at all. Yep. It might as well have not have happened because you'll never prove it. Uh, so if you've just had an important meeting where uh, your boss has said something and made some allegations against you or, made, or, or said something uncomfortable, put it in an email. Maybe not. that's not going to be an email to your boss. Maybe that's going to be an email to uh, the manager who, who he or she reports to. Maybe it's going to be uh, to the human resources manager. But put it in writing and send it off so that it can be proven that, you know, that there's a contemporaneous record of, of what happened here. Uh, sometimes what will happen is uh, an employer will will fire you, uh, but they'll they'll do it verbally and they'll say just uh, you know don't don't come back uh, we're we're done here. And then we come into the picture and we say all right well you've terminated this employment without cause and the employer uh, then goes to speak to a lawyer and the lawyer says actually you owe this person about you know fifty thousand dollars or seventy thousand dollars in pay. And they, and then all of a sudden they remember something. All of a sudden they have an epiphany. Oh, you know what? Actually, no, we didn't fire this person. Uh, they quit. Oh, right. well, then you don't have to pay them anything. Uh, you, and so then we get this letter back. It says, well, what do you mean? We don't know what you're talking about. We thought this person quit or we thought they were on a medical leave. Um, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, and then my, my client is just completely flabbergasted, right? And, uh, and, and they're saying, well, what are they talking about? But that's where we're left, right? And you don't want to be in that situation because then it's a, you know, it's a he said, she said, she said, he said, he said, he said, you don't want to be there. Uh, don't make that mistake. Um, uh, put it in writing, ask your employer to give you a record of employment. If they haven't given you a termination letter, write them a text message, an email, something confirming that your employment's been terminated. Um, because once you do that, it's going to be very hard for the company to, to try and get away from that. Uh, even better if the company will, uh, will respond. So yes, do put these things in writing. And like, and like your last point, even if they do respond, and some people will be worried, say, well, what happens if I don't get a reply after I send off that email? Well, same thing works the other way. Silence is the same as acceptance, right? If they're not going to argue it, I guess your email's right. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's ideal if, if you're asking for a response, it would be ideal if your employer would respond. Yeah. But if you sent an email and you've said, you know, my employment's been terminated, when am I going to get my severance package? No response. And then you send them an email, you send them a text message, you leave them a voicemail, and you have all these 
you know, you have all these pieces of proof about what you've done uh, to, to try and confirm this. Yeah. And your employer says, well, I didn't get any of this. Well, that's that's a very different situation, right? Because then your, your employer has a lot to answer for because they're going to have to prove they didn't receive any of these things. Mm -hmm. And if you have a time-stamped email, that's going to be hard for an employer to walk away from, if not impossible. Biggest mistakes that individuals make that compromise their legal rights. And uh, guilty of this one in my career, for sure, at some point, failing to keep track and submit their overtime. The paperwork. Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely a big one. Uh, you know, when you start a claim in court or at the Ministry of Labor, and you're making a claim for overtime, the very, very first thing that a judge and that an employment standards officer, that a member of the labor relations board, is going to ask is. What proof do you have that you work right. the time? Because what will yeah. companies say, of course, is companies will say, well, how do we, you know, how do we know they're just completely making it up? How do we know they're not completely making it up, right? And the truth of it is, is that you have to have some kind of proof. And ideally, the best way that you can do this is to actually log your hours and submit them to your employer on a regular basis. Say, I work this amount of hours, I work this amount of hours this week, um, and log it again and again and again. Uh, mm -hmm. Try not, try to avoid sending your employer all of it at once. Uh, because that's you know that's uh, obviously better than not recording it at all. But ideally, you'll be doing that on a regular basis. And if you really work those hours and you can show that you were sending your employer, uh, you know, sort of the dockets of the time that you've been working, then you're going to have a good case for overtime as long as you don't fall into an exempt category. Um, so make sure to do that because this can add up to tens of thousands of dollars. And if you don't do that, then we're left trying to, you know, it, it becomes like a, a Sherlock Holmes uh, case, right? Where we're pulling together yeah. emails from here and there and say, well, this was at 8 a.m. and this was at 9 p.m. And, you know, usually in those situations, we're looking at a fraction of uh, the overtime that you're probably actually owed. If uh, if you're in the situation where you have been dropping that ball for some time and it is a substantial amount of coin, I mean, you could be looking at, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. A lot of people work more than that. And if they don't bill for it, how far can you go back? Well, generally speaking, the rule is that you can go two years back. Now, okay. there is some law suggesting that you can, in certain situations, go back further than that. Uh, but the the general rule for all of these things, whether we're talking about termination pay, vacation pay, overtime pay, uh, is that typically um, all other things being the same, you can go two years back. Now, if you've got overtime that happens to be uh, five years back, six years back, seven years back, we definitely want to take a look at all of that because there is, uh, again, there is uh, legal support that you can that you can go back further. Oh, okay. uh, but all this to say, you, you don't want to be in that situation if you can avoid it, of course. So you if you're uh, if you have accrued overtime that goes back, at, let's say a year and a half, don't sit on it. Talk to your employer and find out if they're actually going to pay it. Because if they're not going to pay it, you may need to start an employment standards complaint. Ask any questions about the topic we're talking about or your own. Bring it on. We'd love to answer you. It is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Again, biggest of mistakes individuals make to compromise their legal rights. And this one is really going to be coming to the fore as people get back to work more and more. And we move through the stages and hopefully get back to some normalcy in the next uh, six months to a year. And that is waiting too long to do something about changes to the terms of employment, which a lot of people have seen already. Right. Waiting is a very dangerous thing to do. You know, just like mm -hmm. we were talking about, do not wait more than two years to make an overtime claim. Uh, do not certainly do not wait two years um, to uh, to do a 
to do something about changes to your employment because we don't just have the limitation deadline of, of two years that we're worried about, but we also have to think about if if you have been deemed to accept a change, right? Yeah. So if you uh, if you come back and all of a sudden your job duties have increased or decreased or your your pay has decreased, if you don't do anything about those things, you will be after a certain amount of time deemed to have accepted it. So don't wait. Speak with us uh, and then let's talk about whether this is a change that you can and should be objecting to. And if so, you know, just like you wouldn't wait longer than two years um, to start a claim for termination pay or overtime, don't wait more than a couple of weeks to do something about a change uh, to your job. Just just so people aren't scared, though, I mean, a change to the job would qualify as a temporary layoff. Now, a lot of people have been on one because of COVID-19 for not two weeks, but several months, if not uh, close to that time anyway. Is, are they still under the umbrella to phone you, John, and say, you know what, I don't accept this temporary layoff regardless of COVID-19. I would like to see if I can pursue a wrongful dismissal. Can they do that after this much time? Yes. So temporary layoffs work a little bit differently because you're not actively at work, because you're not at work to object to the change. The law doesn't require you to make the same kind of objection that you normally would have to for, let's say, a change in your salary or a change in your position. So if you've been on a temporary layoff and, you know, maybe you were okay with it for the first month, maybe you're okay with it the second month, but now you're six, seven months into it and you're like, you know what, I, this is, this is clearly not tenable and I'm, I'm going to, I want to go after my severance package. Then you can do that. The law does say that you can make the decision uh, to pursue a constructive dismissal. So um, you still are going to want to call us. We're still going to want to talk because if you've been temporarily laid off and even if you haven't spoken a word to your employer in the last six months, that still very well could be a viable claim for constructive dismissal. And obviously not something you want to war- march into the office on your own and start claiming and trying to trying to navigate those waters. So definitely give uh, give yeah, please give don't. you or the firm a call for sure, right? one eight five five, by the way, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is that number to call. We're talking about the big mistakes that individuals make to compromise their legal rights and there you are. I just I served it right up for the next one. That is allow employers to lay them off temporarily. This is probably the number one topic over the last four years. So or at least four months. So what do you think about that? Yeah, if if you're put on a temporary layoff and you're not okay with it, then this is something you don't want the company to be able to do again. So if you are thinking uh, of going back to work, then you want to make sure that you communicate in writing to your employer that like, okay, look, this was uh, you know this was a unique scenario. I'm going to accept right. it this time, but I'm not going to accept it going forward. And if you're in a position where you don't want to return to work and you want to treat that as the termination of your employment, then let's talk about that because if you haven't agreed to it in writing that they can do that, then that's going to qualify as a constructive dismissal. Um, And that is the most straightforward way to, to deal with an illegal layoff. You know, as far as the law is concerned, without an explicit agreement to the contrary, a temporary layoff is a termination. That means you get exactly the same severance that you would get if the company had let you go without cause. There's a lot of talk about what the Employment Standards Act says and the changes to the Employment Standards Act, and the reality is the Employment Standards Act does and has always said that temporary layoffs are permissible, but that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the deal that you've struck between you and your employer, and if that deal does not include temporary layoffs, then that's a breach of contract, that's a constructive dismissal, and that's where we want to consider going for a severance package if you will not be going back. But again, and I can't I can't stress yeah. this enough, don't do this without speaking to an employment lawyer. Give us a call, let's talk it through with you. Well, uh, get to Marie here. We still got a bit of time. Hi Marie, thanks for uh thanks for calling in. How are you? 
Good, thank you. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? Okay, so I'll try to make it as brief as possible. Um, interject if I if I give you too much detail. Um, I work at a law firm. Uh, I started working there about five, six years ago as a part-time employee, working on average 25, 26 hours a week. Um, then um, in March, when COVID hit, um, the employer asked if I would increase my hours uh, a little bit um, because I was one of the asked to be one of the core people to continue to come into the office physically every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did. After about four months of doing that, it dawned on me that um, now that I've increased my hours, I'm, I'm averaging 30, 31, 32 hours a week, I might um, qualify for benefits because I was told that it, it was a minimum of 30 hours I had not qualified previously. So I brought that to their attention, and uh, they sent me uh, the booklets and whatnot to pour over if I was interested in, in signing up. I started reading them, and um, page one or page two of one of the lengthy documents indicated that the minimum was actually 20 hours, not 30. I brought that up to the employer. I wondered what that discrepancy was about because I thought, hmm, I could have been qualifying perhaps, you know, all the five, six years that I've been here. Um, and then so they said, well, uh, they would check into it. They contacted uh, the insurance company, came back and, and told me, yes, that in fact it was 20, not 30. So they asked me if I wanted to um, now sign up, and I asked if there was a cost to me, the employee, to do so. She said, first she said she wasn't sure because she said she doesn't partake of them herself. Her, her husband has better benefits. After a while, she said uh, she didn't think there was a cost. So I said, well, I don't see any downside. So sure, sign me up. My question is, um, what about all these years that I've gone without? Uh, was the onus on me as the employee to be aware of uh, what the, you know, the rules were? Or should the employer have um, been on top of that? Right. So this is an interesting situation that raises questions of potential misrepresentations and then and what, what could be a breach of contract. So was it, if it was represented to you that um, you, that we're going to give you benefits, but you need, an, you need to reach a threshold of, you know, let's say 20 hours per week before mm-hmm. 30 hour, 31 hours per week before you can be eligible based on our benefits provider, then, um, you know, then arguably there's a misrepresentation there. But your employer could have also just said, we don't give benefits to anyone who works here less than 31 hours per week. And they would be fully entitled to do that. So um, it's about whether they, what they represented to you. Um, It's hard for me to see how you would have an entitlement Unless, um, you know, unless they made a very explicit representation to you that, you know, we'll do this as soon as our our benefits provider allows us to and you're asking about it and they they refuse to do it. I'm not sure there's much that you can do uh, about the previous years. And then, of course, there's the, the question of valuating how much you lost. Is it the amount that you spent in benefits? Is it the employer paid premiums that they're going to owe to you? Uh, so this is something that I'd. I'd recommend you speak with us in more detail about but one of the things that I'd want to see is I'd want to see your offer letter I want to see what was expressed to you at the time I'd want to see any email correspondence that went along with that and if they made a deliberate misrepresentation to you based on the amount of you know be, you know based on your eligibility for benefits uh, and you lost out because of that then maybe there's an issue of breach of contract but my issue here is they could have simply said we're not going to give you benefits until you reach 30 hours a week. And even if their reason for doing that is not legitimate, they're still entitled to do that. So if that's the case, I don't think there would be an entitlement here. 
Okay. Um, one quick question. Mm-hmm. Is there um, an average that um, an employer um, pays per employee per year um, to cover their benefits? Would you say, or does it vary? It, it, it varies quite a bit. I've seen it run the gamut anywhere from like $100 a month to like $600 a month in extreme cases. I, I'd say I find the average, just, just in my experience, seeing you know, a few dozen of these a year, um, I, I probably see the average at around 250 to $283 uh, per month. But again, it, it really depends on the kind of plan. That's just sort of your, your typical average mainstream benefits plan tends to be between the sort of three, 250 to 300 a month. So potentially the employer could have saved a, a bit of a, you know, certain amount of money on me um, for these number of years, not having to pay that potentially. Right, but the qu- the question is, I mean, did they simply decide not to do it, or is there a misrepresentation here? Because if they'd simply said again, we don't give benefits, or we're not going to give benefits to you, you know, until you've been here for four years, they they could have very well done that. There's nothing illegal about doing that. Okay. Um, so it's just about whether they were acting in good faith and whether they made some misrepresentations to you, or um, so we'd want to. I, I I would really need to see the documents that accompanied the inception of of your employment relationship with the firm. Marie, got to let you go. We got to take a break, but I'm going to leave you a number and an email to reach out further and continue the conversation. Thank you for your uh, your time for sure today. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the number again. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll come right back with more of your phone calls. With Employment Law Show. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back indeed. You still got time for uh, your phone call. You want to ask John a question. That is why the show is here and we continue to do this show each week. In the meantime, biggest mistakes that individuals make that compromise their legal rights. Um, you're on a medical leave. You're off for a while. Oops, you forgot to stay in touch with your employer. How about that one? Yeah, this is a big mistake, and it's, it's really sad to see because, of course, people don't do this on purpose. They figure, well, I'm on a medical leave. What do I need to do? Well, well the fact is if you want to reserve the right to, to continue your employment relationship, you know, this is not like a pregnancy leave, right? Your employer doesn't know when you're expected back, and that's why you need to be in contact with your employer to keep them in the loop. Uh, the company does have a duty to accommodate you, but you also have a duty to cooperate, and the best way to do that is to check in with your doctor regularly. You know, now you can do that uh, often via, you know, a uh, virtual appointment. Uh, so do that. Send an updated doctor's note every couple of weeks. Uh, if your doctor's asked to fill out a, a functional abilities form or some kind of letter from your employer, uh, take a look at that form and get it filled out. If you have concerns about the kinds of questions they're asking, uh, then maybe ask them about it. Maybe speak to an employment lawyer uh, because a company can't ask you about your diagnosis, but they do have the right to know when you're going to be back to work. Are you going to need accommodations? Um, and, uh, you know, are you likely to be able to return? These are legitimate questions. And the consequences yeah. of not staying in touch with an employer is that you may be faced with a letter threatening abandonment of employment. And your employer will say, well, we haven't heard back from you, so we assume you're not coming back. Maybe it's been a year. Maybe it's been two years. Uh, and then the company will not pay a severance package. Uh, and you really you don't want this to happen because this is making your life harder. It's going to make the task uh, for your employment lawyer more complicated complicated and it's going to uh, probably reduce the amount that you will ultimately receive for severance and you may not get severance at all. So please keep up with your doctor and please more
more than anything, talk to your company on a regular basis. We'll get to one more of these, and that is biggest mistakes that individuals make that compromise their legal rights. And this one is, is kind of sad. They quit because they feel they have no other choice. Yeah, so this is something that people really, really need to pay attention to in the current predicament that we're all in, right? So a lot of people want to say, well, my employer's reducing my pay or they're, you know, they've had me in a layoff, so I, what, what else can I do but quit and, and treat it as a constructive dismissal? But this is something you really do need counsel from an employment lawyer. Treating your employment as constructively dismissed is a major decision, and it's a decision that you should not be doing without advice. So please give us a call. You know, the same goes if you're experiencing harassment or if your job duties have been taken away or something else has changed in the workplace because a change in itself does not necessarily mean it's a constructive dismissal. So, you know, many times what we're talking about is not negotiating a severance package, but maybe negotiating a solution to these changes. And there's because often there's nothing better than seeing an employee, particularly if that employee is a long service person, salvage their career. Careers and and go back to work and, and I do that all the time. So give us a call. Don't make that decision before getting advice. Karen, good afternoon. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. What's uh, what's on your mind? Okay, I'm calling on behalf of my daughter, who's a hygienist. Uh, they were hit pretty bad with this COVID. She's been off work, laid off for since the big, or middle of March. Um, she's requesting um, information about how about getting back to work. Um, she's being told now um, that. Uh, they understand if she wants to go and, and put resumes out and look for another job as they're not sure when they're going to take her back. There is a maternity person coming back in September, which we understand. However, there's a temporary person working at the office as well. So she's requesting to, to ask why or asking them why is it temporary there and why, you know, when am I coming back to work? Um, so they're not giving her too many answers and she's needing to get back to work. She wonders if she has the right to, you know, request any more information or severance. Mm. And should she be looking for other work, which she is, because she has just bought a house and she needs, you know, more money. And she's worried about totally. the serve and the unemployment. Right. Well, you know, it's, it's not really my place in terms of whether to say whether she should be looking for a job elsewhere or not, because that's a personal decision. It sounds like right. that's certainly a rational decision in the circumstances, but that's one she has to decide for herself. Does she want to stick it out with this company or does she want to or does she need to look for work, uh, work elsewhere? But here's what I can say about her situation. On September 4th, um, there's going to be a legislative requirement that for all these employees who are on a, quote, deemed leave of absence, they're going to have a right to return back to those jobs. And if that employer cannot return them back to those jobs, they're going to owe them a severance package. So what I would tell uh, your daughter, Karen, is that if on September 4th, she is not told what's going on uh, if she's told or she's told that she's being put on layoff again right so she's if, if she doesn't hear anything or she's being put on a temporary layoff again at that time give us a call and let's talk about getting a severance package for her at that time because at that time it's going to be a lot more straightforward for a lot of people uh, and there's of course as you know tons of people in your daughter's circumstances uh, to negotiate a severance package and you know when you describe the situation to me someone coming back from maternity leave temporary person uh, who has sort of filled in while she's away, it sounds like what may happen at that time is she may get a severance package. So better to wait to see at this point if they're going to offer her a severance package at that time. But if she doesn't hear from them or she puts them on a, uh, her on a temporary layoff, definitely give us a call uh, that, that uh, time, September 4th. Okay, will do. Thank you so much. You're welcome.
Thank you for your time, Karen. And the number to follow up uh, once uh, that time has elapsed is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five eight two one. 5900 that's to reach out to john and the rest of his team when the show is done and the email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca september 4th arrives a whole bunch of people should be going back to work some employers are going to pull the plug as you say they might say we can't do it we're going to give you severance what is the over under of employers either knowingly or not knowingly that they're going to shortchange employees maybe banking on the fact that hey i had no control over this uh, pandemic therefore i can't give you full severance you think you'll see that yeah, I think we're going to see a ton of that. But the other thing that I that I'm I'm fairly certain we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of employers saying, "Okay, well, uh, we know that you have a right to come back to work, but we just can't bring you back to work. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to put you on a temporary layoff uh, for another 35 weeks, which will basically take people into May, right? And those people, right. I think, are rightfully going to be very frustrated. Probably a lot of people are going to decide, well, you know, I can't wait that long. Um, I need to now go for, look for another job. Uh, and those people, as far as I'm concerned, are going to be terminated, right? Unless they have something in their contract permitting temporary layoffs, then perhaps there's a right to do that. But for the vast majority of employees, they don't have that. So employers who are going to say all of a sudden, um, the employers who are going to say, we're putting you on a temporary layoff again, uh, and yeah. they don't, it's no longer a deemed leave of absence. These are going to be constructive dismissals, right? And and the, the simple way for that employers really should be dealing with that is saying, we can't bring you back, so we're going to have to figure out a termination package, right? And then people can make reasonable compromises. We get it. Employers are hurting, uh, and these particularly small employers. And so in some cases, it may be worth you and your employer making a compromise but to just say we're going to put you on a temporary layoff that's uh you know that that is a shortcut that employers uh, are going to lose as of september 4th and i think a lot of employers are going to have a rude awakening at that time we'll get to uh, some more calls we'll take one more break here then we'll finish up the hour try to get to a few emails as well that is help at employmentlawyer.ca with the employment law show global news radio you are listening to a paid commercial program Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. A few minutes here to go. Eric, thanks for uh, thanks for calling in today. How are you? Uh, great. How are you? Fantastic. What's uh, what's on your mind? I work for a, or I did work for a uh, highway coach company here in uh, Ontario, and they're also in Quebec. And uh, they, uh, I got almost 35 years in, wow. and uh, part part time. And uh, what they've done is terminated 47 of us. And uh, with my seniority, they've offered me uh, over $10,000 uh, severance, and I just wanted to know if that was in the ballpark. How much unionized? do you earn? Are, yes, that's a good question, Eric. Uh, Eric, are you uh, in a unionized uh, environment, or are you non-unionized? Yes, yes, unionized. Okay. Uh, the union sent us a letter, too, kind of thanking us for our time and, uh, you know, um, have, uh, you know, good luck in your, you know, so um, I'm not sure whether, uh, you know, the writing's on the wall there. You just accept your severance or what you do. Well, there's a big difference if you're unionized or non-unionized in this context, because if you're unionized, you, you pretty well live and die by the collective agreement, right? So uh, if you were a non-unionized employee, then this would be, not only would this be inadequate, it would be a very small fraction, probably, of what you'd be owed, um, you know, just, just guessing what your, your salary is, which was going to be uh, the next question. But 
again, if you're in a, if you're in a unionized environment, uh, then mm-hmm. you are not going to be entitled to more than this because you're um, it's going to well it's going to depend on what's in your collective agreement, right? And typically, the collective right. agreement does not have uh, a an entitlement that uh, that is above employment standards. So, um, the only person that can represent you, the only person that that can really verify whether this is adequate, is your union representative. So that's really the only person mm-hmm. that you you can and should speak to about this. Right. Okay. Uh, right. They uh, they do claim because they're federal that, uh, or maybe I already told you they're the uh, one uh, one week severance per year. Is that sound reasonable, or is that? Well, the, if they're, they're federal, the requirements are under the Canada Labor Code, and and it's it's a, there's a bit of a formula that's involved. It's it's not it's not strictly speaking one week per year of service. It's it's actually a a little bit less than that. Uh, but the can the requirements to pay severance under the Canada Labor Code um, are is not a huge amount. So, um, okay. given that they're a federal employee, given that you're unionized, it, it, this doesn't surprise me. And again, even if it, even if I were to say this is an inadequate severance package. It is really just the union uh, that can deal with that. Right. Okay. So um, that's it. That's all you can do. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. That's again. I know that sounded disappointing. We've heard it so many times from unionized employees who think, "Hey, this could be a beacon of hope." I got to uh, John Pincus here can represent me and help me, but no, you are bound by the CBA, and uh, generally speaking, you can't go outside that to seek legal advice to bolster mm-hmm. your severance. You just can't do it, right? That's right. I mean, there's uh, there is there are some narrow exceptions for human right. rights matters. Uh, actually, I think that's something that's being litigated at the Supreme Court right now about how much freedom you have to do that uh, as an, a unionized employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally speaking, yes, this is the trade-off, right? I always say about unions, it's you get a lot of benefits when you're working as a unionized employee. The trade-off comes if you if you are terminated, and it, yes, if you're terminated and your your union decides not to seek reinstatement for you, then the uh, the amount that you're going to receive is going to be probably a small fraction of what you get otherwise. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at Eric as we uh, we wind down our minute here, and that is, you know, guy, I think he said he was 56, been there part-time for 35 years. I mean, he mm-hmm. looks like a he looks like a 24-month uh, or for sure, two years, yep. depending on what his what his pay would have been. That's probably a, a much sweeter uh, pile of scarole than he's going to get from his, uh, from his union contract, I would imagine, right? Yes. I mean, it, yeah. almost invariably, uh, someone, un- unless the union is fighting to get you reinstated, almost invariably right. your entitlement is going to be much lower uh, under a, a unionized uh, situation. So right. that's the trade-off, right? You get benefits while you're working there, and hopefully that makes up for the disadvantage you have uh, if you're let go. Copy that. We'll, uh, we'll end it there for a, another show. Good, uh, good, uh, good job, John. You want to reach out to Mr. Pincus now? You can do so anytime. Here's how you do it. 1-855-821-5900. The number email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And anytime you want more knowledge, increase your knowledge of your workplace and employment rights, you always, always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's free. It's anonymous. You can do it right now. We'll catch you next time in the Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless- Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.